Welcome, welcome, welcome to My Thing Is This Podcast. I'm your host, Troy Sampson. And each week, we talk about what's going on in the world and let you know my thing is this about what's going on in the world. Again, I'm your host, Troy Sampson. Stay tuned, buckle up, and enjoy the ride. All right, all right, all right. Thank you, everybody, for joining me this week. This is the week ending November 7th, 2021. Again, I'm your host, Troy Sampson, on My Thing Is This podcast. So what we got in store to talk about today is three things. The Ahmad Aubrey jury selection, how other cultures view autism, because I have a son who is living on the autism, living with autism and ADHD. And also the hypocrisy associated with the coverage of Aaron Rodgers and his flat out lie about being vaccinated this week. So let's go ahead and get started. Let's talk about Ahmaud Arbery and the jury selection. And so they had the jury selection for Ahmaud Arbery who was basically hunted down by several white people as he was jogging through a predominantly white neighborhood down south. And he was literally gunned down by these folks. Uh, he was just jogging. And it, if you're not familiar with the story, just Google Ahmaud Arbery and they give you details on his murder. But he was basically murdered by several white guys. And it was horrific because his murder was basically caught on videotape by a friend of those white guys who was trailing behind as they chased him down in that white truck and then proceeded to attack him and shoot him in the street. But anyway, so they had a jury selection for this case and on a jury and in most cases, there's 15 jurors selected. So there's 12 jurors and three alternates that are selected. And out of the 15 that were selected, only one jury member out of the 15 was African-American or black. So, you know, the chances of a fair trial being had uh, for Maude Aubrey's family is really, really slim. Um, the county in which the trial is being set is, I think it's Glenn County down there in Georgia, is 25, 27% black. And you only get one black juror out of the 15 in a county that has 27% black people. So this is just, you know, we all know what this is. Yeah, we understand what this is. And so, you know, in the Sixth Amendment of the Constitution, it guarantees, you know, us citizens the right to a criminal trial by an impartial jury. But unfortunately, in the Sixth Amendment, though, there is no requirement that the jury be as racially diverse as the area where the trial is taking place. So even though the Sixth Amendment says we get in, in, by an impartial jury, right? I don't know how much impartial you can be where you only have one <laughs> black person on a 15-panel jury. And so legal experts say that, you know, this particular selection can lead to imbalances, especially in Glenn County, Again, where he was killed and the trial's happening, it's 27% population of black people there. So, yeah, it's really, really 
interesting. So research suggests that juries made up of all white members are more likely to convict black people at higher rates. However, I haven't found research out there that really goes into, you know, um, how, well, there is research out there. I take that back. Um, I think there's a Duke University study um, that studied a decade of criminal convictions in, I think, Florida, for example, and found that, you know, all white jury pools convicted black defendants 16% more often than white defendants. Um, but, you know, when even one black <laughs> jury member is added to the pool, you know, they say the gap in conviction rates nearly disappeared. So I don't know, man. Um, it's crazy. But also, uh, I think there's some research out there from a 2010 report by a nonprofit uh, group called the Equal Justice Initiative that found that the exclusion of people of color from criminal juries was pretty much widespread throughout the United States. So this is not anything new. This is par for the course, you know. Um, and how they select their jurors. It goes, it's historical. It goes back decades and decades of trying to keep black people out of serving on juries, especially when there was lynching going on and killing of black folks going on by whites back then because they knew that they did these killings unjustly and that if you had black people on the jury, those black people were going to convict those white people because it's just straight up murder. I mean, it's common sense. So one of the things that came out of this was, and this is the interesting part about this, is that the judge overseeing the case, I think his name is Judge Timothy Wamsley, if I say it correctly. Um, CNN reported that he said that this court has found that there appears to be intentional discrimination. If you're the judge in this case, and you and you can say that there's intentional, intentional discrimination, then you don't have any power to make them redo the jury pool. He kept saying that, you know, they were able to um, strike those black jury members not based on race, but he never said what they were able to strike them on. So, you know, of course, you know, Lee Merritt, who is the attorney for the Aubrey family, he said on Twitter, <laughs> and this is what he said on Twitter, he says, the defense team had 24 strikes. One third of the potential jurors were African-American. So 11 of the strikes were directed at African-Americans. Only a single black male made it to the actual jury. So what criteria did they use that allowed this one black juror to make it to the jury? And then what was the criteria that caused all the strikes against the other African-American jurors that were not allowed on the jury? I mean, you know, honestly, you got to have diversity on these juries, man. Um, and you got to select a jury, no matter how long it takes you to select that jury in that community, 
that's going to be that's going to make the jury diverse. You know, you can't have the killing of a black man in a high profile case like this and then you only allow one juror. That's that's basically we're going back to Jim Crow, going back to decades and decades before where you're stacking it because you you may feel as though well, if we put black people on the jury, they're going to be biased. They're going to, you know, this, that, and the other. Well, what is stopping the other jurors that don't look like black people from leaning the other way, saying, well, you know, we, we, we don't see anything that these guys did. You know, they look like us, and we don't see anything these guys did wrong. But it's like, wow, seriously. But anyway, this, 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 this is just crazy to me. Um, it's interesting. And so this is our legal system in 2021. This is where our legal system sits right now. So we'll just right at this point sit back and watch and see what goes down. Um, we have to lift up the Aubrey family and the attorneys representing them to put on a magnificent case, lift them up in prayer to be able to put on a magnificent case to get justice for this family. But you know, this this situation reminds me of a scripture or chapter in the Bible from the book of James, where it talks about favoritism. And it starts out with talking about how, well, when you have a get together or a meeting and you invite people in, you invite the people in that have the fine gold and jewelry, and you tell them to have a seat next to me. But then the, the people that come in look like hobos or bums, not dressed as nice. You tell them to sit at your feet. And so James is like, you know, that's favoritism. You know, you can't show favoritism. And so there's plenty of scriptures we reference in the Bible about favoritism and how it's wrong and it goes against God's law to show that favoritism. And so, you know, that's the crazy part about all this. And so we just have to keep this, this trial lifted up in prayer and keep that family lifted up in prayer and hope that a fair outcome is given um, because based on the facts and based on what's being reported, they just hunted this dude down, especially with they saying, well, he broke into some house that was being built. Well, there's been reports by plenty of people who live in the neighborhood that says other people have been in there too, but they weren't chased and hunt down like Ahmaud Aubrey was. And so again, you know, I digress. We'll we'll lift them up in, in prayer and um, uh, just pay attention to this case. And, you know, but it's a clear show of favoritism. <laughs> Definitely towards those gentlemen and towards the people that look like them and what their color is. And so I'm going to transition a segue into an article that I came across. And this is kind of referencing favoritism as well. Uh, from Autism Parenting Magazine, um, there was a young lady named Gemma Winchester who wrote an article about how autism is perceived in different cultures and how autism is viewed in those cultures. And um, she found out some interesting information um, that the different cultures do, aut do view autism differently. And I've had you know some conversations with people as well, um, from different cultures that also view autism differently um, in their cultures as well. And so Gemma Winchester wrote this article, 
and she's a world traveler. Um, I think she has a brother that has Down syndrome and autism. And so she's been around the world. And so she went to Australia. And one of the things she found out in Australia is that, you know, any disability, whether it be autism or any sort of disability, it is a stigma. And particularly autism is labeled as the people that are uh, living with autism in Australia are labeled as weird, right? And one of the things she pointed out that was very interesting was, was that most people with a disability in Australia are either abandoned at birth or they're sent to a retirement home with the old folks because they have no other facilities available to house these individuals. And so, you know, again, going back to the book of James chapter two about favoritism, it's another thing, a situation of favoritism in Australia. Um, I had the opportunity to go to a dad's group here in Maryland where I live um, that was put on by the school system. And I remember one of the meetings um, that we had, which was not very well attended, which is another topic for another day. I'm thinking about starting a podcast, um, a different podcast about our journey, my journey with, you know, raising the child with autism. And so I went, I talked to this gentleman who was there and the gentleman had a Latino name, but he, when he spoke, you could clearly see he was East Indian from the Middle East, Pakistan, one of those Middle Eastern countries when he spoke. And he shared with us a situation about how when his son was diagnosed with autism and what that looked like, um, basically his family ostracized their child. And they ostracized him to a point where, and there was no real services available in India for that child. And so they ended up coming to America. And he said it was, you know, it was terrible. He said they haven't been back since because their family really wasn't accepting of his child with autism, which is very, very sad and unfortunate. And I've heard of other cultures, um, some African families, some um, other cultures, Latino families. You know, some people, some groups look at it as a curse, um, but it's not really a curse. And so one of the things that Gemma talked about in one of the quotes from her article was it says, it seems as though more developed countries tend to focus on what they consider to be wrong with you, Right while less developed countries focus on what is special about you. And so she said that needs to be this major shift in focus. And so, you know, she went to Fiji. She had an experience where she went to Fiji. And I think her younger brother was there in Fiji. They lived there for a while. Like I said, she's a globetrotter. She lives all around the world. And so Gemma's younger brother has Down syndrome and autism together. And she said when they were in Fiji, he received the best treatment from the locals. Now, Fiji, according to her at that time, was not a wealthy country. But what she said about Fiji was, was that they were rich in love and inclusion. It's just big, it's major. Rich in love and inclusion. Wow. And so those born in Fiji with special needs, and this is the kicker here now, those born in Fiji with special needs, she said, the people, the Fijians, I think that's what you call them, Fijians, considered 
those individuals born with special needs in Fiji, gifts from God. That's interesting. Not the normal people, gifts from God, but an individual child born in Fiji that has special needs are considered by the Fijians as gifts from God. And so they celebrate that child and they all band together and it becomes a village. It takes a village to raise a child. And so in Fiji, they band together. She said they banded together and the village basically participated in the raising of this child in Fiji. And so again, it goes back to the quote that she said. It says, where she said, it seems like the more developed countries tend to focus on what's wrong with you. While the less developed countries like Fiji focus on what's special about you. And that needs to be that major shift. And, and for one, we, we see it here in our country. Let's be real. Let's be honest. Look at the amount of disability support services that are available. Look at, you know, the in the school systems, what's available for children um, with disabilities, living with disabilities in terms of services, IEP, 504s, and the resources that are available. Nobody in this country really puts a lot of resources into the special needs programs and things like that. That's why they had to come up with the Americans with Disabilities Act. That's why we had to come up with IDEA, which is Individuals uh, with Disabilities Education Act, to protect our individuals that are born or living with a disability, that they're either born with or have developed over time that becomes a true disability. And disabilities in this country, is, is it runs the gamut from wheelchair-bound to almost invalid to very high-functioning autism or Downs. And so there's a wide spectrum of disabilities that we live in, a deaf, blind, you know, learning disabled, uh, intellectually disabled, autism, ADHD is in there too. So there's a multitude, a multiplicity of disabilities that we have in this country. And it's just, if you have, you can support. You know, that's why you don't see too many Holly Robinson Pete's of the world or Tony Braxton's of the world or Jenny McCarthy's of the world that are coming out and standing on the forefront. I think that was a British actor just came out. I think I read in The Guardian, a well-known British actor just came out and revealed that she has a child living with autism. Ernie L's the golfer, um, does golf tournaments to raise autism awareness for his son. And so, and then you have people like John Travolta who, until his son Jet passed away, they never, him and Kelly Preston never revealed that they had a child that was on the autism spectrum or living with autism. It wasn't until the National Enquirer did a expose or looked into his Jet's passing, and there was a picture that they that they had of him coming out of the store, walking barefoot but walking on his tippy toes. Um, and that's a sure sign that I can see as a, a parent of, of, a, of a child living with you know a young adult living with autism. My son displayed that early on, and he's still to a degree now at 19 years old, six foot three and high functioning, uh, still kind of walks on his toes from time to time. And that's one of the telltale signs. And so, you know, it, it, we live in a country, like she said, in developed countries, it's, it's considered to be something wrong with you. And then there's a have and the have nots. You know, our school system, our children receiving special education services, during this, before the pandemic, was struggling. And then the pandemic just amped it up a thousandfold. And so, you know, 
we shouldn't look at our individuals living with disabilities as problems. We should look at them as gifts. I know I can only speak for myself, but I'm sure I'm speaking for my wife too, that having our son, Joshua, and him being living diagnosed with autism and living with autism and ADHD was a blessing to us because it made us more aware. It made us more compassionate for people. We used to walk around and say, you know, we see a kid having a meltdown on the floor. You know, you need to tear that kid's butt up or you can spoil that kid. And then when we had our child, we had Joshua. Well, we realized it wasn't a temper change. It was a true meltdown. It was a sensory overload. It was... He didn't have impulse control. It was the autism and then the things associated with it that caused him to melt down. And it was it was not the typical tantrum. Tantrums you see in children, they know when to stop. They only go for so far. They only go for so long. And when they get tired, they pretty much shut it down. A meltdown for a, a, a child, a boy or girl living with a disability or autism or any sort of other behavioral disability that meltdown can go on for hours. That energy is just there. Kids throwing tantrums that are just brats, spoiled kids, they'll get tired. And they'll also won't push the envelope with their parents either. Like they won't hit their parents a certain way. They'll tap them, but they won't physically hit them. Children on the spectrum, children living with disabilities that don't have the impulse control, don't have the executive functioning, that they need to control the impulse, control their anger and their rage, it's it's a full-blown shot. You know, I know a parent, heard of a parent being concussed by her child living with a disability because, there's, I mean, there's no strength. They don't know the strength. They don't know how to shut it off, you know. And it's interesting, you know, because <laughs> in Fiji, they're considered gifts of God gifts from God. Our, our individuals living with disabilities are considered gifts from God. And it's funny because in Leviticus chapter 14, chapter 19, verses 14, it says, you shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. And so what that says to me is, is that you ain't going to say nothing bad about people that are deaf. You're not going to put a stumbling block or an impediment in front of people that are blind. You're going to love them and treat them. Um, because they're made in God's images, you know, the scriptures out there, you know, we talk about fearfully and wonderfully made. I knew you, I formed, I knew you before I formed you. God knows all this stuff. God knows that all of us are his creation. Um, and there's nothing that, you know, we can really do to, to, you know, move away from that. And we got to love each other. We got to love each other. Um, no, no matter what. In John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, it talks about where the disciples asked Jesus about the blind man. It says, ask who sinned that caused this man to be blind, right? They asked him that question. Well, who sinned that caused this man to be blind? And Jesus answered him, and he's like, it is not this man or his parents who sinned, but the works of God that might be displayed in him. See what I'm saying? It's the works of God that might be displayed in him. Right? It's that, it's that will to live. It's that, that happiness, that joy. Yes, I'm blind. 
But I'm not going to go cower. I'm not going to fall into a hole or deep depression. Yes, I'm blind. I can't see. Oh, yes, I'm deaf. I'm going to keep on moving. I'm going to do what I need to do because you're going to see the, the God displayed in me. And I can speak for that firsthand, you know, with my son, that the God was displayed in him, which caused it to be displayed in us with our compassion and our love and our serving uh, that we've done. So, you know, that's a perfect segue, that that jury selection, that, you know, the way that all went down. That's interesting. So we segued into how autism is viewed in different cultures, which is a perfect segue, because it's all about, it's all a favoritism. You know, we favor the normal, healthy individuals in this country, those who can do over those who cannot. You know, no parent wants to, is going into marriage and starting a family or going into starting a family, whether you're married or not, saying, I want a child on the spectrum, or I want a child with Down syndrome, or I want a child with cerebral palsy, or I want a child with MS, or I want a child with the George syndrome, or I want a child with PDD, or I want a child with ADHD, or I want a child with any sort of disability. That, that's out there. Nobody goes into that, goes into having a family with that in mind. It's just something that happens, you know, and no matter what, that we are still God's gift. Childbirth is a God gift, you know, so we need to look at it that way. So let me take a break here for a second, and I'm going to give a shout out real quick. Like what you hear so far. Make sure you hit the like and subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by you, our listeners, and by the mighty man himself, God. Thank you for your support, and thank you, Lord, for making this possible. Now, back to the show. All right, all right, all right. Thanks for tuning in again. I am your host for My Thing Is This podcast. I'm Troy Sampson. And we just talked about the Ahmad Arby jury selection. Um, we also talked about how autism is viewed in different cultures. But now I'm going to shift to sports. And this is something that's been bugging me for at least the last three or four weeks. But it really hit ahead this past week when it was revealed that Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, lied about his vaccine status back in August, I think it was. Um, but we didn't know that until now, until he tested positive for COVID and couldn't play this week. So he couldn't play today. Um, and so when he couldn't play today, that's when it was revealed that his vaccine status was not what he said it was. So he was asked back in August, was he vaccinated? And he said, I'm immunized. Well, come to find out, he sought some sort of alternative treatment saying that he was allergic to the mRNA that's in the Moderna vaccine or this and these vaccines. He sought out other treatment and apparently the treatment that he sought out, the NFL was like, no, that's not, that's not a viable treatment for it. That's not a viable vaccine. He, he, he even saddled up to Joe Rogan of all people for medical advice. But, um, what makes this the hypocrisy is, is the coverage of Aaron Rodgers. And him lying to everyone. And it's centered around 
ESPN and one particular host in ESPN, that's Stephen A. Smith. You all know who he is. He's the loud brother that comes on first take. Always got something to say about everything. But here's the thing about that. and Here's where the hypocrisy sets in. So Kyrie Irving, point guard for the Brooklyn Net, superstar, can't play. Why? Because he lives in a state or city that is now mandated that people living and working there and going to facilities in New York City must be vaccinated. So therefore, he can't play. And the Brooklyn Nets have decided that, well, since you can't play at home, we really don't want you to play at all. He's eligible to play in away games, but I think the Brooklyn Nets have made the decision. And I, and I don't necessarily fault them for that. But here's the backdrop to the Kyrie thing. Kyrie came out, I mean, Stephen A. Smith, let me go back to Stephen A. Smith. Stephen A. Smith came out and blasted this dude. This went on for like two weeks, calling him selfish, saying that he's an intelligent guy. I respect him. He's not stupid, but what he's doing is stupid. So how are you going to say somebody's not stupid and then turn around and say they're stupid? It doesn't make any sense. But anyway, he went on and on and on and on with the energy and the vermin, the vigor, calling him selfish, saying this is what he does. And he, and he even made a comment that even if it wasn't a vaccine thing, he still would find an excuse to miss games. And so this went on for at least a week and a half, two weeks before Kyrie finally took to Instagram and basically said what he felt. He said, I was assured in the summertime that I was able to get an exemption for this. And then I was told when the season started, I can't. So I'm in the process of regrouping and looking at my options. And then he went on to talk about being a voice for the people and stuff like that, which Stephen A pounced on. So Stephen A was railing on this dude. It was almost every, it was like every time the Brooklyn Nets came up, it he just railed on this dude. And it was really personal to a point where Stephon Marbury, um, if many of you know, Long-time New Yorker, former NBA player who played for the Knicks, New Jersey Nets, and several teams in NBA. Um, had his own personal struggles, um, maybe some mental health issues during his career, and then left the United States and went became this megastar in China. Led the Chinese Basketball Association in scoring and got a couple championships, and they loved Stefan over there so much, he got a statue erected in China. Stephon Marbury, right? So Stephon Marbury chimes in and tells Stephen A to back off, man. Say, look, man, you don't have to go at this dude so hard, man. You know, get the, cut the brothers some slack. And then he made the comment, and I think this is what sets Stephen A off. And this is what I think sets a lot of guys um, and some women to a degree, because I'm not going to just single sports reporters and journalists. It's just all men. This is what set them off. Stefan proceeded to say, well, Stephen A. never picked up a bat, never ran a football, never shot a basketball professionally. Who was he to really give this opinion like this? And I think that sets Stephen A. off. So Stephen A. turns his attention and his venom and his crosshairs to Stefan. Then he goes and digs up Stefan's past where Stefan had the Vaseline eating incident and some other things, right? So he goes in on Stefan, right? Then after he goes in on Stefan, Stefan chimes back or chime, chimes in and, and, and claps back. And then Stephen A. sends him a private message saying, you know, we brothers, we don't need to do this. And so when he did that, 
Stefan exposed him. Stefan shared it to the world. <laughs> and so the crux of this, though, and the hypocrisy in this is, is that when the Aaron Rodgers story hit, I think everybody in the world tuned in to see what he was going to say. Because, you know, he's an Aaron Rodgers fan, calling him a bad man, think he's the greatest quarterback, think he's even better than Brady. And he sat on the set, and he basically said, well, you know, Aaron Rodgers lied. He flat out lied. That was wrong. He flat out lied. So myself and other people are looking for, where's the energy at? You know, where's the, where's the digging into him that you did with Kyrie? So that wasn't there. I mean, Ryan Clark and everybody else is dragging Aaron Rodgers. I mean, everybody on Get Up, the guys on Get Up were dragging Aaron Rodgers, right? Stephen A., he didn't have the same energy. And Jay Will, who is on the Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Max show in the morning, comes on at 6 in the morning, KJM. Um, and the M is for Max Kellerman, because we all know Max Kellerman used to be on first take. But apparently Stephen A. thought that we needed to get a better ratings and Max wasn't it. And basically had Max removed. Now, watch this, and I'll get back to the hypocrisy in a second, but watch this. So, Stephen A. gets Max removed. A lot of people are partly saying that because T.O., a.k.a. Terrell Owens, Hall of Fame wide receiver, one day came on first take, and there was a back and forth, I think it was during the George Floyd thing or when this racial unrest was really going on. And Max gave a take that T.O. agreed with. Stephen A. gave a take that apparently T.O. didn't agree with. T.O. on first take to his face told him, well, man, Max is blacker than you. Max is blacker than you are. And Stephen A. didn't take too kind of that, right? And I think that and probably some other things were the tipping point that ultimately led to him moving Max off the show. Now, watch this. So he gets Max removed off the show because Max is, you know, he ain't cutting it no more. We got to keep our ratings up. Now, mind you, before he cut Max off the show, the first take was number one show on ESPN. So he, and I saw this coming, me and a friend of mine, Dion, we saw this coming because there was a time about three or four weeks before Max got let go where Stephen A. went at him hard, right? And Max said, okay, Mr. Grumpy, right? Now, typically, when sports talk shows take a vacation or sports talk show people take a vacation, it's typically the whole crew, right? So shortly after that, outburst against Max and Max calling him Mr. Grumpy, Stephen A. is nowhere to be found. It's just Max and Molly, and then they have a guest to come in. I said to my friend Dion, I said, uh-oh, somebody, either Max has told Brass, I haven't had enough of this crap, and they pulled Stephen A.'s card, or something's going on. And we kind of saw that happening with this his just sudden disappearance off the show. So he comes back. It says he took time off to take his daughter to, to a Disney World or something like that. Some lame excuse he gave, right? 
And then shortly after that, Max was gone. Now, he gets Max off the show. Max leaves first take because Max is a bad host, a bad co-host. Got these crazy takes. People are posting Max's outlandish tapes. One of the takes was if he had the last shot, he would ask Andre Iguodala to take the last shot. Max is a very smart dude. Max graduated from Columbia University in New York. He's an expert on boxing. He's very, he's pretty good at other sports as well, as he's shown over the years. Remember, First Take has been number one for a while. Not because of Stephen A, but because of Stephen A and Max, right? But all of a sudden, Max has got to go. So Max has let go, right? Stephen A dances around, dances around, dances around. They're dancing around Why let him go. And then he finally goes on a breakfast club, I think, and actually tells the truth that he got Max fired, right? So here's what ESPN does to reward Max or should I say to as the part of Max being let go Max moves into the Keyshawn J. Will show it was Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin Uh, but Zubin supposedly got sick with diabetes or something it wasn't there for a while I mean for months at least a couple of months so Max fills in and becomes it becomes KJM Keyshawn J. Will and Max in addition to that, Max gets the afternoon one-hour show called This Just In. It comes on ESPN, I think, at 2 o'clock from 1 to 2 or from 2 to 3 every afternoon on ESPN. In studio, on the same set as Get Up, Mike Greenberg show. So if Max is so bad and you needed to get rid of him, how did they get rid of Max off of your show but reward him with two more shows? Now, Max has... He's already had Max on boxing. So Max is on ESPN at least three times a day. He's got KJM in the morning, this just in, and Max on boxing. This guy's supposedly a bad co-host to you, Stephen A. Anyway, I digress. Let's get back to the Aaron Rodgers thing. So people are watching this, and they're seeing the lack of energy that's being given to Aaron Rodgers, and his basically treating Aaron Rodgers with kid gloves. So Jay Will comes on first take and this is what Jay Will had to say to Stephen and I, and I quote this right it says Jay Will says I have this gripe with you and I wrote down some things that you said here three and a half weeks ago you said it amounts to betrayal for Kyrie flat out stupid bad teammate selfish All right And then on October 16th on CNN, you said, the hell with you, Kyrie, right? And he says, you say all these things about Kyrie Irving, and he was very upfront and honest about his situation. He wasn't jeopardizing anyone else. He didn't put anyone else on the Brooklyn Nets at risk. He says, then Jay Will goes on to say, I just didn't feel the same venom. I didn't feel the same energy that was associated with Kyrie Irving. And a part of me wonders why. How come you don't hold Aaron Rodgers, who lied to the same standard? So Jay Will is absolutely right, because Jay Will's been defending Kyrie for quite a bit. And after the last big round of Stephen A going off on Kyrie, Jay Will took to social media, and he kind of called Stephen A out a little bit, not by name, but just by people getting personal with him, saying these people getting personal with him, and basically you know, saying Kyrie just needs to be left alone. But Jay Will is 100% on point with this one. 
Aaron Rodgers lied. So here's what that does. So when you dig into Kyrie, like he's been doing, calling him selfish, bringing up his past, you know, disappearances or whatever you want to call it, bringing up his past, this, that, and the other, so on and so forth. You have a guy who sat on a podium in front of reporters who asked him, did he take the vaccine? And he said, I've been immunized, leading everyone to believe that he had the vaccine. Now, the Packers had to know this. I'm pretty sure his teammates had to know this, right? So you got several high-profile players in the NFL that have not been vaccinated, Kirk Cousins being one, and I think there's a couple other guys that are not vaccinated. These guys have special protocols they have to follow as being guys who are not vaccinated, meaning they get tested out of the wazoo and they always have to wear a mask wherever they go. So Mr. Rogers sits in front of reporters doing all these press conferences, talking to people after the games, doing all this other stuff, no mask in sight, was caught at a Halloween party, no mask in sight, all these things. This is egregious. So if he flat out lied about that and continue to do these things, right? He's putting all his teammates in jeopardy. Kyrie never did that. Kyrie was never even never even allowed in facilities. But this guy lied and said he was vaccinated and come to find out he wasn't. And so he's putting all these people in jeopardy. He's exposing himself. And then he finally caught it. And then when he caught it, we found this out. I find it fascinating. One, the NFL didn't suspend him. That's one. But number two, more importantly, though, Stephen A. Smith is not bringing that energy that he brought to Kyrie. Because here's the thing about the lie and the way he did it and how Aaron Rodgers did it. So now, if you lied about that, then are you telling the truth about what happened and what you did to Green Bay in the offseason? Because there's character issues that people have brought up about Aaron Rodgers. You know, about him being smug, aloof, you know, always pointing the finger when the team loses and it's part of his fault. He doesn't take the blame. It's everybody else's fault but his. You know, he was dating Natalie Natalie Munn or Nunn, the actress who played in um, uh, with Ice Cube and Kevin Hart in that cop movie that they did together, part two of it. I can't remember the, the name of it. Um, but she was in that movie, right? And when he broke up with her, there were some things being said um, from her camp that weren't very fighting about Aaron. It came out that Aaron has basically cut his family off and nobody really knows why. Then all of a sudden he pops up with this new girl he's engaged to and then he's very cryptic. Everything is a beautiful mystery. And so Stephen A has enough material on Aaron Rodgers. It's like he had enough material on Kyrie to really dig into Aaron Rodgers. And one of the things, I, I don't have the quote here, but one of the things that Jay Will said when he confronted Stephen A was, he said, you know, and from a black man's perspective, right, which always touches the nerve with Stephen A, he had to declare to everybody right after Jay Will said that he's a black man too. But look at the optics, though. Let's, let's be real and look at the optics. Yeah, Kyrie Irving, African-American basketball player who – 
never lied about getting a vaccine, who just said, I'm making a choice not to take the vaccine at this moment. I'm getting more information, so I'm not playing. And Kyrie never said he was retiring. Kyrie never said he wanted to be traded. Kyrie just said, I just don't feel comfortable putting the vaccine in my body. Kyrie is, you know, not putting anybody on the Brooklyn Nets in harm's way. Now, what he does with his family is a different story. And who's he around and stuff like that. But all of that's on Kyrie. Kyrie's a grown man. Everybody had an opinion. Everybody got personal. Charles Barkley went about Kyrie's money. Well, I don't like it because he's still going to get paid $13 million just to sit at home. So what? That's the contract he signed. That's collecting bargaining agreement that's in place. That's his money, Chuck. Leave his money alone. Um, but that's his personal choice. Kyrie has to live with that. But the way Stephen A went at this guy, and now Aaron Rodgers, because there's going to be talk again tomorrow because Green Bay lost to Kansas City. And they basically played a really, really dumbed-down version of the playbook today against Kansas City with Jordan Love. Jordan Love made some 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 good throws here, made a lot of mistakes here, threw an interception late that was a high ball. But, I mean, you got to expect that for a guy who's been sitting behind Rodgers and not been playing. But I want to see, like Jay Will and the rest of us want to see, the energy that he spent on Kyrie being spent on Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, when I watched that, that segment, and when Jay Will challenged him on the energy, right, he tried to make it seem as though his energy was up because he was going back and forth with Jay Will. You know, they were having a heated discussion. No, that's not what Jay Will is talking about. They're talking about the amount of time. You spent a lot of ESTN time and resources and different shows on different days wailing on this dude, wailing on Kyrie. And all Jay Will is saying is, Give that same energy and that same time and the multiple shows over the next couple of weeks willing on Aaron Rodgers. Willing on Aaron Rodgers. That's all Jay Will is saying. That's all all of us really want. But, you know, a lot of people in the media, a lot of people in our community, in the black community, look at Stephen A. as a puppet. That he's being puppetized or being controlled by ESPN and he's doing it for the money, he's doing it for ratings and so on and so forth. Going back to Kwame Brown, to JaVale McGee, to everybody he's going after, most of them been African-Americans. He made a comment about Shohatani, who's the um, Asian baseball player who played for the Angels. Made a comment about that, a comment about him. And then as soon as the heat came, he turned around and quickly apologized on air. When are you going to apologize to these African-American athletes? He never does. So, you know. But here's the thing about that, though. You know. In the book of Matthew, chapter 7, it talks about judging. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For the same way you judge others, you will be judged. You know, it talks about having a plank, trying to point out the plank in somebody else's eye when you got planks in yours. You shouldn't be doing that. So he's pointing out this plank in Kyrie's eye. He's got plenty of planks in his. But he's failing to point out all the planks in Aaron Rodgers' eye, which I find fascinating. It's okay to just call him a liar. You said he's a liar. That's about the extent of it. Where's a diatribe? Where's a digging into what he took the Green Bay Packers through this year that everybody's still confused about? 
Just just hold everybody accountable, dude. The way you hold, if you're going to hold Kyrie Irving accountable for two weeks straight, digging into him, do the same thing about Aaron Rodgers. Cover Aaron Rodgers the same thing, the same way. Pardon my French. Cover him the same way. That's all I'm saying. And so I'll wrap this up and finish this up um, with a call to action. You know, our three topics has a call to action. The first one is vote. We all got to vote. We got to vote for judges and and district attorneys and, and people that are in these positions in the court system that can stop these unbalanced juries. So we got to vote. Not at the not at the federal level. We got to vote at the local level. We got to show out in places like Glynn County, Georgia, and other places where these injustices are happening and vote those judges and those DAs that are allowing this stuff, these atrocities to happen. It's, yeah, it's an atrocity to have only one person of color on that jury in a case like this. Um, and so, you know, vote for vote, vote so that judges and DAs can make sure that juries are diverse, right? Also, show love and compassion for, for individuals that are different from you, specifically uh, individuals living disabilities. Show compassion for them. Show love for them. Be a Fijian. Look at uh, individuals living with disabilities as gifts from God like the Fijians do. Makes me want to go to Fiji. Because we're all made in God's image. At the end of the day, we're all made in God's image. We're all miracles from God. So we need to love each other and treat each other as such. And then the last thing is judge not, therefore you be judged. And if you bring energy for one person or one thing, bring it for all things. Don't bring it just for one particular thing and when it's script when the flip is script or the script is flipped, not bring energy. You don't have to be loud and boisterous all the time. Kyrie Irving decided that he didn't want to get the vaccine. The only thing sports talk should be talking about is how then that's gonna fare without Kyrie Irving. They still got enough to win the championship. And my question is this. The Brooklyn Nets get to the finals and Kyrie doesn't play a minute, a second with them this whole year and they get to the finals. Then what? Then what? Because one of Stephen A's biggest things is how important he is to this team. Okay, so you still got two superstars in Kevin Durant and James Harden. If they can get the rest of the guys to step up and give them minutes and give them quality minutes and defense and scoring to take the load off of them and they get to the finals and hell, they win it. Then what? Then what you got to say about Kyrie? Then it'll be, oh, they ain't never really need him anyway. He would have been a headache. He would have been a distraction anyway and they probably wouldn't have got there. Okay, whatever. All right. So just be, don't be a hypocrite. Because this is what Stephen A is right now. He's a hypocrite. You call out this one guy and blast him for two weeks and then you say nothing about Aaron Rodgers. That's hypocritical. And Aaron Rodgers did something far worse than Kyrie did. He lied. 
He flat out lied. And he's still making excuses. Still making excuses for himself. And I guess that's okay. All right. Again, thank you for tuning in. Shout out to God for making this possible, for allowing me to wake up today with the breath in my lungs and the blood flowing through my veins and the technology available to do this. Thank you, everyone. Tune in next week. We out. Thank you very much for tuning in this week, and be sure to tune in next week. Hit the like and subscribe buttons. And again, thank you very much for tuning in because your opinion matters. So the next time someone says something that sounds crazy or uh, tell them, my thing is this. I'm your host, Troy Sampson. Have a blessed week, and we are out. Thank you.